I think that there was, again, it's another character I thought there was potential for. Ultimately, he's just, this movie's Groot. Like, let's be real. That's what he's there to do. Sure. To just grunt and and be a, a CGI thing in the background. You are such a, you are becoming such an old crumbum. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, comedian, raconteur, San Diego, COVID survivor. We don't have to get into it. Well, see, that was the whole thing. I was going to open by making fun of you and telling you, uh, telling all of our fans that you were a COVID denier. And then I had to have a medical emergency today and it kind of threw all that in my face. You are Cassidy Robinson. You are recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains, and you are putting me on the spot. Uh, yes, I did have a bout of COVID. Um, we we caught the deltas, y'all. Um, it was fine. We're fine. Uh, I'm not a COVID denier. I understand <laughs> that our situation isn't is very anecdotal, um, but. You know, luckily we got the vaccine, so we had very mild symptoms. You beat um, it like a champ. Yeah, it, honestly, it it was weird. It was like frustrating and kind of embarrassing, but right. Um, I just thought it was funny when I'm like texting you about it. So you, did did you get it from your roommate? How long ago was he sick? Oh, that doesn't match the timeline, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, we did go see Suicide Squad in a theater. I'm like, well, fucking duh. It, well, I've seen lots of movies <laughs> in a theater since. You saw lots yeah. of movies in a theater pre-Delta variant. So, you know, just let everyone take this as a PSA. It's good to be vaxxed. Be vaxxed. Be double vaxxed. Get all the vax. But uh, this this variant, regardless. So you're being a little reactionary. The worst part about it was, you know, we had to quarantine. Yeah. Um, uh, Two weeks. We didn't. We don't want to spread it to anybody who is going to have a situation much worse than us. Um, but that was literally the worst part of it. Like it didn't even really feel like a cold. Because none of the symptoms ever hit, like, all at once. Right. It was, like, a little bit of a scratchy throat one day, mm-hmm. and then kind of congested for a day and a half. And then other than that, it, we were pretty much fine. Like, I didn't eat, we didn't really get a cough or anything like that. Um, it was just, like... Yeah. Like I said, just kind of annoying. The vaccine did what it was supposed to do, which is to brunt the worst of the... Of the uh, yeah, of the disease. So that's good, and we're glad you're back on the show. You sound great. You sound better than I do right now. I uh, rubbed my nose um, the wrong way and uh, was in an urgent care trying to get a nosebleed yeah, to stop. You're, the, you're trying to COVID shame me. You're the one who <laughs> picked his nose to death. I know. I mean, it was it was bad, Keith. <laughs> yeah, my bathroom looks like a murder scene right now. So. Your situation was so much worse just from picking your, like, that's my point is, here's the thing. I I know, I know. I got Delta variant, you know, but I also understand that I'm not immunocompromised. I'm not someone who's necessarily at risk. So if I get it, I'll do, you know, if I get it again, I'll do the same thing. I'll quarantine. I'll be still, I'm still going to get a booster once available to me. Like, you know, I'm not going to mess around, but. Do all the things. Um, This is not a COVID podcast. I just wanted to tease you a little bit. But today we are talking about the Suicide Squad, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad that was released a few weeks ago. And we both were able to uh, catch The Green Knight on VOD, which just came out. Um, I believe it's in theaters as well, if you choose to do that. And at the end of the podcast, we are going to review David Lynch's The Straight Story, which you can watch on Disney+. Plus. And I yeah. believe uh, Suicide Squad is on HBO Max, correct? 
Uh, it, it is not for much longer, though. It, I think it, it might even be gone by the time this comes out. If you wanted to release... see it, you most likely already have. Yes. Um, but yeah, that is that is the state of things. So it's been a while since we've done movie news. Well, we've had a lot of guests and stuff on. We've been having fun. Uh, so I'm going to go back in the archives of uh, our Twitter feed, at MacGuffinPod, and see what news stories we didn't talk about. All right. Oh, here's one very topical to today's review. Idris Elba has been cast as Knuckles in Sonic the Hedgehog 2. <laughs> uh, the role I, of a lifetime, I'm sure. I Yeah, I heard about this one. Uh, cool. I uh, actually thought that they had already cast Jason Momoa as Knuckles. So I was just like, I thought they already cast this shit. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Cool. I, I guess. Does that make sense? Idris Elba, Knuckles? I actually think Jason Momoa makes a little bit more sense. Um, but, you know, he's got a cool voice. He's a good actor. Yeah. And it's it's an easy gig. You know, just go into a recording booth, uh, record your shit, um, and someone's going to animate knuckles. it. Knuckles. <laughs> I'm here to knock you up. Uh, will he be doing that or will he be doing his, like, The Wire... Baltimore accent. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no. I, I don't either. Yeah, it it's cool. I mean, I don't, fans of Sonic seem to be pretty happy on uh, on the twitters. So I right. think it, you know they're just happy to get like kind of a name like caliber actor. But does it matter ultimately? I mean, there's so many voice actors who can do. Yeah, there's probably been... voice actors who can do Idris Elba doing Knuckles yeah, and. They've been fucked out of jobs for, like, the last 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I I feel one neither one way or the other about this. Um, I think it's funny because, like, who gives a shit who's voicing Knuckles? But People uh, give a shit. Well, the, the Sonic fandom, that. the Sonic yeah. fandom does, yes. There is, it, and I will not underestimate Sonic fandom. They got... The character fucking redesigned, uh, and they got a sequel out of it. So for sure, they are small but loud. Okay, here's one that goes back quite a while. Uh, Josh Rubin, director of Scare, Scare Me. Me. Uh, he this year he uh, released the Werewolves Within. Yes, Werewolves Within and uh, Scare Me. Um, up-and-coming horror director, has been campaigning hard online to reboot Darkman, which we actually did as Netflix homework or streaming homework uh, not mm. too very long ago. Sam Raimi's superhero comic booky thing that he did in the early 90s. Yeah, I'm all for it. Uh, give Josh Rubin Darkman. Hashtag give Josh Rubin Darkman. I think it makes sense. I think he has the right sensibility. Um, we haven't watched Werewolves Within yet. I've kind of been saving that for October. But I uh, really like Scare Me a lot. I think the fact that he wants to do it means he's going to do it right, in my opinion. Um, he's not. It's not like a studio deal where they're like, let's find some cheap indie guy yeah. who will come and do this IP. He's actually campaigning to do it. And now, well, it's, it's funny because... I think it would actually be a really good transition for him to do, like, bigger kind of movies if that's what he wants to do. Um, but the IP, I, I think it's less a matter of uh, giving Josh Rubin a directing thing because, you know, both of his movies have been uh, success as far as, like, smaller indie movies go. I think the thing more is selling the updated IP, like... Who who is clamoring for a Darkman movie? Josh Rubin, like, right? Like he's kind of the only one asking for a it. A very very small select of aged nerds. Um, yeah, I and it. I mean, it's a cult movie, and it's an old one at that. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would depend on the marketing. Obviously, it would depend on a lot of things. I I think there's room to move in that property it doesn't have to follow it exactly i think there's ways to do it better even 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go back and listen to our Darkman review if you want to hear that. Um, well, I, I think, yeah, I, I, we talked about this during our review, but uh, Darkman helped kind of set the tone for a lot of the first wave of superhero, of like big budget superhero movies. I think now that superhero movies have kind of been redefined, um, it would be cool to to see something like Darkman where it could be a little more free uh, to be a little darker, a little weirder. I mean, it already was pretty dark and weird, but like to, I think it's a cool opportunity to have a, another superhero movie outside of the big MCU system or DC system. And, and so any, I think any kind of opportunities for that, I'm going to be for. Uh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, so yeah, we are, we're with you, Josh Rubin, in your journey in getting this IP. Okay. Star Trek finds new director in WandaVision's Matt Shackman. Again? Okay. Um, I, what's going on with Star Trek? Is there a Quentin Tarantino movie? I don't think so. Is, Is it rebooting again? Is it not? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that choice for a director seems to make sense uh you know wandavision was very um referential in old television yeah yeah and so i you know if they want to give star trek sort of a modern retro chic feel this makes sense to me um yeah i'm for it sure why not just fucking make a new star trek it's been how long since star trek beyond Oh, I think we're getting on four to five years now. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, just do something. Yeah, I I mean, here's the thing. I think what happened was there was this sort of narrative in the air that Star Trek was losing its steam and people weren't as pumped on Star Trek Beyond or Into Darkness as they were the original. But well, then I, I, think- I, th- I think what's happened is since then – more people mm-hmm. caught up with Star Trek Beyond or reassessed it. They're actually like, no, that one's actually really good, if not the best of the three. And let's keep doing this. Like, we don't need well, Tarantino I, to come and save this. There was also, like, I think there's also issues with sort of some of their rebooted cast now. Because I think there were some things with, like, Chris Pine's contract. And maybe there was conflicts with, like, Wonder Woman or something. Um, but there was talks that, like, they would do it and Chris Pine wouldn't return, which is like, okay, I mean, I, I feel like if we're going to stick with this cast, like, we kind of got to have that, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it it, it would be weird to replace Kirk again. Um, So, I yeah. But Star Trek Beyond is a lot of fun. Uh, I really have liked the new Star Trek cinematic universe, so let's let's keep it going as long as we can, if we can. And I th- the, the the bad robot Star Trek universe I think has been a lot of fun. I know a lot of people have issues with Into Darkness, especially, um, but I think even if you just look at the two out of the three, I liked Into Darkness fine because I'm not. I don't hold Rathacon sacrosanct like some people do. Um, yeah, I I agree with some of the criticisms right. of Into Darkness, but I don't think I don't think that makes it a like terrible. Like I I still think it's a fun movie to watch. I, you know, I don't think it it's not like a uh, two movies are good and one is unwatchable. It's right, like, right. Yeah, maybe it dips a little, but it's still. You know, I still think that Benedict is a good villain. Um, you know, if we can detach ourselves from the whole, it had to be conness. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, generally speaking, just the whole thing. I like that cast. I like that universe that they've built, and I think there's yeah. still room to do cool, fun stuff there. I, I like the idea of like you know taking the Gene Roddenberry stuff and in you know let's take that and inject it with some summer blockbuster fun. Yep. I agree. All right. So that is the movie news. Let's go ahead and get into the suicide squad and Keith, I'll let you set that up. 
The Suicide Squad. Not to be is... confused with Suicide Squad 2016. Yes. Yeah, so there is David Ayer's Suicide Squad, um, which, according to David Ayer, is not David Ayer's Suicide Squad. There was the original Suicide Squad, and then there is this, The Suicide Squad, uh, written and directed by James Gunn. Um, it's sort of a soft sequel, like, it takes characters and premises from the first one, um, but it's not necessarily a direct continuation, this is definitely its own self-contained story, but the, the idea is that there is this group called Task Force X that is made up of, uh, supervillains who are in prison, um, they are, you know, implanted with a, like a detonated, a, a bomb at the base of their skull, and they are sent on these missions that are, they're either too ugly for superheroes to get involved in, or too dangerous. Um, the, these are, this is an expendable team of characters, and they, they do this in exchange for time off of their prison sentences. Um, they are led behind the scenes, uh, by Amanda Waller, who is played by Viola Davis. In this particular mission, uh, it is a large cast of supervillains. So they're sent to Cordo Maltese to investigate this Project Starfish thing the government has heard rumors about. Their mission is to go in, infiltrate this giant laboratory fortress, um, and get the information about Project Starfish. There's a diversion that, that Amanda Waller sets up so that the team, yeah, that the main team, the main can, team can go and can go and in infiltrate and infiltrate this, this uh, rebel camp. And then stuff happens, and it's very violent. And again, if you're listening, you've probably already seen it if you're interested in it. Yes, we have Idris Elba as Bloodsport, John Cena as Peacemaker, Joel Margot Kinnaman. Roby reprising her role as Harley Quinn. Uh, yes. Joel Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. Uh, I mean, everybody and their mother is in this movie. Uh, Michael Rooker as Savant. Uh, Flula Borg, who we talked about on our last episode. Um, yeah. Javelin. Javelin. Uh, Daniela Melkor as Ratcatcher, and David Dasmalshian as the Polka Dot Man, and uh, Sylvester Stallone as King Shark. Yeah. So huge, huge cast of characters in this. Yes, and um, some get more screen time than others. Yes. Um, it is definitely, the Suicide Squad definitely lives up to its name. Uh, a lot of characters die. Is very violent, uh, uh, gloriously violent, in my opinion. But it, you know, it also has James Gunn's dark sense of humor. This is probably more on the dark end than uh, some people might be used to from uh, his outings in Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure, I mean it's kind of a meeting of the two, right? So it's a little bit of what we know he does with ensemble quirky superhero cast. Yeah. And if you go further back with the director and slash writer, what he does in schlock and genre, stuff like trauma that he came out of originally and, and stuff like Slither yeah. and uh, the superhero parody. Um, well, he did two. He did one called the specials, which kind of not too far off from a lot of the stuff he's doing now. Um, although with a much lower budget and then the Rain Wilson movie Super, which was kind of a dark, uh, comedy superhero send up. I guess the intuitive way to sort of enter this, this review is to compare it to the 2016 film, right? So the 2016 film was sort of rushed into production. DC, DCEU was just kind of getting off the ground. They're trying to catch up with Marvel as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. A lot of, Bad studio interference interference got in the way of the 2016 film. There were rewrites, reshoots, whatever. Um, and the movie sort of has a cult following, I suppose. But for the most part, 
Like people basically admit that it's not very good, with the exception of Margot Robbie, who has been able to come back several times as this character. Yeah, um, for the for the Harley most part, Quinn. DC has kind of tried to ignore. to bury it a little bit. I mean, this movie is kind of a sequel, but a little bit of a soft reboot at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I think it's I think it toes a very nice line because it doesn't negate anything from the first one it, it doesn't do a full-on reboot it's not like reintroducing us to all of these ideas and concepts uh he directly uses characters and um uh and references relationships from the previous one yeah, and just, what has been established in the dceu in general yeah you just don't have to have seen it like i in in my opinion that is what a good sequel should be. It should reference the first movie, but stand on its own as its own thing as well. Well, and it's also, but I would say that there's a fairly big stylistic difference. That is true. Yes. Um, so Even though they're both kind of going for a similar tone, or at least, and this is, I guess, how I, so what I think the big difference between the two is, is that the first movie was, a movie that was shot to be, uh, you know, a bad guys doing bad guys being good guys doing a mission movie, um, with a little bit more of a serious tone, and then it was recut to be a comedy with pop music cues and whatever. This movie was written to be a action comedy with pop music cues and etc. Yes, yeah. I, I well, I think that is a. I think that is very important, and honestly, uh, it's it's funny to me the whole you know Justice League Snyder cut thing was such a huge thing. I honestly think that the air cut of the suicide of Suicide Squad, the 2016 version, to me sounds a lot more interesting than Zack Snyder's Justice League ever did. Uh, he he went out on like before. The new Suicide Squad came out and released this, like, I don't know, did you read that? It was a statement, you know, it was like talking about how the movie that came out was definitely not his movie. He didn't shoot it like that. There was no pop music in his version at all. It was, like, completely uh, scored. Um, and, you know, just talked about his frustration with the whole thing and how... But he was still, like, supporting James Gunn and the new sequel... I don't know. I just, based off of his statement, I'm like, you know, I'm more interested in his cut than I ever was the Snyder cut. Like, well, certainly, I, I mean, I still think you end up with that ending with the laser beam and the and the putties. And I, I mean, at that point, I just don't know what there is to fix. Uh, sure, but you know, that is a thing that a lot of superhero movies do. And I, I'm not going to discount a whole movie because of its third act. I, I don't know. I. I'm genuinely interested to see how different of a movie it would have been. Right. And I, I mean, he did the film Fury um, a little bit before that, which was like mm -hmm. a World War II guys on a mission movie. So I'm sure that's what kind of got him the job. And um, and I think that was int the intended tone originally. Yeah. But what happened is you start seeing movies like Deadpool, these very self-aware mm -hmm. um R-rated superhero comedies and something like Thor Ragnarok, which kind of reinvented that character. And I think, and of course the guardians movies. Um, yes. And, and all of which are a precedent to this version of the suicide squad. For sure. Yeah. And I might say two mixed results for me personally. Oh, interesting. Okay. So uh, if we're getting into the like or dislike, conversation i had i struggled with this movie um because i thought that the tone was so bratty and so in your face and there was an element of it that that felt like it was kind of having fun and you know it was carefree and everything and it was trying to be subversive but there wasn't really anything to subvert other than the 2016 film. You could say that there's sort of a backstory of, of him getting fired from Marvel for a little bit. And this is his kind of answer to that. But I, I, 
I just don't think that the movie earns the violence. I don't think that the movie necessarily earns the um, flippancy of the tone all the time. And I mean, by the time it was over, I felt like it was kind of an ordeal. Like I, I, I enjoyed it in fits and starts. There's certain parts that I like a lot, but I think the movie as a whole, it, it hits critical mass with that snarky tone to a point where I stop responding to it. Interesting. Uh, I completely disagree. I loved it. I loved the tone of it. Um, I I loved how violent it was. I felt like, other than the Deadpool movies, uh, and this even strikes a different tone than that to me, um, that, you know, like, Deadpool is so self-referential and so directly meta, um, I don't know, I thought it was refreshing, I was like, I, I enjoy it when, I, I enjoy seeing superheroes with their powers be, like, or their, whatever, and actual ramifications of the violence, um, I very much enjoy that. I didn't feel like there were ramifications. I felt like the characters are servants to the tone. I feel like they, the the movie doesn't necessarily care about the characters all that much as long as they can get a laugh. And I and I feel like there's a lot of times when I disagree with that completely. There's very few character arcs in the movie that have an emotional component. And not I, that that movie needs to be all about that. And I think there's a balance to be I th- I, that you can I strike here disagree. with this type think, of thing. But I think the main team, I was I was actually very invested in in like the core team, and I really liked I really liked what the beginning of the movie did the the intro because a it was just absolutely insane, um, and b I think it set a really good tone of like oh fuck like. I felt like for once in one of these superhero movies, the stakes were real. And I actually liked all of these characters and didn't want to see them die. And then, like, it made me care about fucking Rick Flagg, who in the first movie was just the whitest of toast. He was just the most, like, generic sort of action-y guy. Uh, I think that... That, uh... Peacemaker and Bloodsport were such fun, great foils for each other. Right, I think that arc plays out the strongest, and I and I and I like that. There's at least that to sort of ground everything around. But there's so much, and there's so many characters, and there's so many like the characters are often split apart into A, B, and C plots that it that even that starts to get spread a little too thin to the point where I don't feel like the movie is really pulling us one way or the other, other than to say, here's a funny set piece where a bunch of people explode, and here's a song you know. I I don't know. I didn't feel that way at all. I felt very, like, I was very invested in this team, and genuinely, like, who's going to live and who's going to die? Like, who's going to make it through this fucked up mission? Yeah, I I loved this movie. It was, like, right up my alley. I think there'll be a lot of people for whom it is because I it, I think it does all of that stuff that they were going for the first time around, but does it better and does it yeah. more intentionally? It is a better movie, um, you know that's undeniable. But I here's my thing: I'm kind of just done, for lack of a better word, with this take on superhero material. We've kind of done it to death. Like we've done the sincere, you know, first wave of Marvel movies where everything is very earnest. Well, I guess with the exception of, of Iron Man kind of, you know, he's, he's a little bit of a snark, but, but he's living in an earnest world. Um, the movie isn't necessarily winking at you the whole time. Um, but now it's like Thor Ragnarok and we got the guardians movies and we got the, the Deadpool movies and it, and even with Birds of Prey, which I would say balances the Suicide Squad 
fuck up and what this movie is going for. I think Birds of Prey sort of is the best of the three in that it finds the perfect balance between, you know, having actual heart and sincerity and also being funny and and I pop think this art. This movie has a ton of stuff. heart. I really honestly felt like James Gunn was Sid in the Toy Story torturing his toys. Like I I I didn't think that I think that everybody everything and everybody was was always sort of uh sold out for a joke. And I don't I I don't know. I didn't feel that way at all. I maybe like- just the characters weren't interesting enough for me all the time. Not there's certain characters I I saw like potential to be interesting. Like I thought Polka Dot Man really revealed himself to be an interesting character. Um I really like the sequence with Harley Quinn. Of course, we've had so much time with her that it's easier for her. But I really like that whole sequence where the dictator is trying to make her yeah. his bride. I thought that's maybe the best stretch of the movie. And and I liked that rivalry between what's her name? Bloodsport? Uh Bloodsport and Peacemaker. And Peacemaker. And and I like the way that they played off of each other, but I like I stated before, I didn't think the movie cared enough about that ultimately. Um and then, what like the by the are end, talking about didn't care about that. By the end of the movie, when that we was get like into the whole sort of emotional uh, uh, climax, right? But, but by the end of the movie, when we get into the you know the, the destruction and buildings are being toppled left and right, and you know it's untold amounts of death and explosion. Um, yeah, I just I kind of ultimately felt like oh like. Like ninety percent of the cast dies. Like, right. Most of the characters in one die. Bi- in one big gag before you really get to know them. Uh, but and and it's, it's entirely a sight gag. That, but uh, and then with King Shark, which I think that there was again, it's another character I thought there was potential for. Ultimately, he's just this movie's Groot. Like, let's be real. That's what he's there to do. Sure. To just grunt and and be a. Uh, a CGI thing in the background. You are such a... You are becoming such an old crumbum. <laughs> I Here's the thing. I really liked Birds of Prey. I thought that movie fixed the Suicide Suicide Squad problems in a more interesting and, and uh, nuanced way than this movie does. I think this movie is... I would have probably been more impressed with this movie and been all rah-rah for it like five years ago. But now it's like, this is just kind of a meaner, uglier version of Guardians. If I want to watch this, I'll just watch the Guardians movies. I liked that it was a meaner, uglier version of Guardians. I, I like Guardians. I I like the tone. I like... uh. I, I... There's a bunch of this stuff on TV, too. We had Invincible that came out that's kind of doing similar stuff. We had The Boys. Sure, we have yeah. the Harley Quinn TV show. And and I enjoy all of that. I'm like, g- give it to me. I'm here for the postmodern superhero takes. If if Here's the thing. If, if most of cinema is going to be superhero movies, and it is, I mean, yeah. that's undeniable. I like having something that is outside of... Disney, Disney's control that that is refreshing, and I I like seeing all of it. Give give me all of it. But if you're to condense my review into one sentence, it would be this: This is no longer postmodern. It's just passe. It is like we've done this. We've seen it. We get it. It's funny. Here's the pop song that you know. Here's this. This is Cruella for twelve year old boys. I. I disagree. I think. Sorry, not sorry. I give it a C plus. Wow. All right. I gi- I give it an A. I loved it. It was. I thought a lot of fun. Uh, I thought all of the actors were great. I thought John Cena in particular. Uh, this was. I think the most interesting character I've seen him do. Uh, I, I think um, Daniela Mel- Melkor. Rat catcher. Yeah, yeah. Ratcatcher 2 and Polka Dot Man are the heart of this movie. Little um, itty bitty beating heart. Oh my god. <laughs> no, you just described yourself. <laughs> I loved it. I give it an A. 
I had right. a lot of fun. Uh, it's violent as hell. Thumbs up from me. And that is The Suicide Squad, which is now available, but not for very much longer, on HBO Max. Yes. Um, let's go ahead and get into The Green Knight. I will yeah. describe this. Okay, so The Green Knight is the is a fantasy or dark fairy tale folkloric thing uh, released by A24. It's written and directed by David Lowry, um, who also did uh, A Ghost Story. Yes, and Peach Dragon and Ain't Them Body Saints. Um, and the, the Old Man in the Sea. Or, right. No, The Old Man in the Gun. And it's sort of a retelling of a medieval story uh, uh, about a, a wannabe knight named Sir uh, Gawain. Gawain? Yeah, um, Sir And Gawain. he's played by Dev Patel. And it is on a Christmas. This is technically a Christmas movie. A and this takes place in sort of a medieval time period, um, fairy tale landscape, and a mysterious green knight um, comes to the castle and challenges somebody to a duel, and to prove himself, Gawain serves himself to fight this thing, and unbeknownst to him, the green knight. Let's him win, and uh, says, "You know, here's a sword. Chop well, off my head." Well, okay. So when he shows up, uh, he says that um, it, it's it's a challenge, and whatever whatever wound he takes, he says he will he will inflict the exact same wound in one year's time. Right. So you know, if it's a nick on the shoulder. Because uh, the, all the contest is is to make the other one bleed. Um, it's it's the first one to to strike blood, and so if it's a nick on the shoulder, you know, in a year's time he'll get a nick on the shoulder. But during the contest, that's when the Green Knight sets his axe down and just kneels and says, "You may cut off my head," um, which he does. And uh, the Green Knight then stands up, picks up his head, and leaves, and says, "We'll do this again this time next year." And within this period of time, we see uh, Gawain becoming a bit of a legend in his his kingdom, you know, rising the ranks quickly and uh, cozying up to the king and queen more. And based upon what some might call stolen valor until this this year has passed and he has to now go to the Green Knights territory to battle him again. And this is what the majority of the movie is, is him on horseback kind of going through these medieval landscapes and avoiding, you know, giants and uh, befriending talking foxes. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a legend journey film. If you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons in your whole life, you might have done some of this. Um, although maybe not quite like this in this, in this style. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a weird one. What did you think? Uh, I kind of feel about this, what you were saying about the suicide squad. You know, you're getting movie revenge now. No, I'm not. I, I enjoyed aspects of this movie. I think it's art directed within an inch of its life. Sure is. And I think there's not as much going on as the movie wants there to be. I, I feel like a good majority of this movie feels pretty, like, kind of padded out to me. And a lot of it isn't all that interesting. I think some of it is. I think I think ultimately the, my problem with it is it's too long and there's too much not happening during that time. I, there's definitely interesting stuff, but I ultimately think this movie is a little pretentious i liked some of it i really like this movie a lot um <laughs> okay yes uh we're just going back and forth i'm not getting movie revenge i just <laughs> i was like i like the art direction of it i just ultimately think there's not as much going on as this movie wants you to think there is see and maybe i've 
I, I didn't know that much about the movie going in other than it's called The Green Knight. A24 was doing it and it's something of a fairy tale of, you know, sort of subverting that. And I knew it was I knew it was based off of uh, Arthurian legend. And that right. was about it. Right. I, I hadn't seen any trailers, so I literally knew as little as possible. But I did know that it was someone, something of a divisive film um, and that people were arguing about it online. Um, so I was expecting it to be much more difficult than it is. I think I, I think that's my problem with it. I think it, I actually just rewatched um, Never Ending Story not that long ago, uh-huh. and to me, this feels not too far adrift from that. It's just, it's like I was actually surprised by kind of how straightforward it is. I don't think it's it's that. I don't think there's like a lot that you really have to like decode or like what's real and what isn't. Blah blah blah. There is kind of like a third act turnaround, but I mean, it's 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 explained very um openly and in, in, in a way that's very easy to interpret i, I feel um but well, that wasn't my problem with them my problem wasn't that it was too obtuse or too uh or too metaphorical if anything i think it could have used a little more of that i i don't know it, it i mean felt- I, what i liked about it though is it is i will say it is sparse and that there is it is definitely more of a tone movie than it is a story movie. Um, But I just had fun soaking all that in. I love the art direction. I love... I I agree with you. I like the creature designs and the the cinematography. And I just felt like there wasn't much beyond that. To me, this movie felt so surface level that I was like, okay, I wanted it to be a little more challenging. I was like, I don't know. I felt like a little talked down to. In what sense? Because I think I the movie like, lays its cards it. out on the table. I don't think that 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 it's 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 uh, asking you really to read that much into it. I mean, you know, basically what I got out of it is it's a story about stolen valor, and it's a it's a story about hubris, um, and it's a story about regret, and it's a story about. I mean, ultimately, I think it's a story about, like, it's the the Lord of the Rings quote, right? Like, uh, what you do with the time that's given to you is what matters. Right. Ultimately, that's what it is, because he's going on essentially what is a death march. He he knows at the end of his quest, he's going to get decapitated. There's, you know, various things that he thinks might be able to help him or not help him or whatever, but ultimately, he, he knows what his fate is as he's going forward. And it's, you know, if the movie's about anything, it's about confronting your own death. I just was like, okay, I don't know. It just didn't do much for me. There's kind of a weird stretch uh, towards the middle act um, with Joel Edgerton and Alicia Vikander. So what I think is interesting, because I, I did look some stuff up after I watched it. Mm -hmm. And that is like the only real part of the legend, like, like that stretch and the whole, the stuff with the green Knight. everything else is, is like made up. So like the, the weird little ghost story, which was my favorite part of the movie. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was going to be a little more episodic. Um, so, you know, as he's going forward on his journey, he sort of has a couple of uh, other misadventures, but he doesn't really. There's like a couple things that happen to him, but I don't know. I didn't feel like that they really had anything to do with the story. They just sort of happened. I just well, was kind of frustrated by this movie. I, 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 I wanted to like it. I think the the, the point of the, the journey towards the green knight is to show you know he's built himself up as this great conqueror you know this is like the mickey sure. mouse the mickey mouse thing you know or uh, that's probably based on an actual thing but uh, you know i killed a giant in one swat or whatever and he's talking about flies or seven yeah. giants in one swat or something like that like it's basically that story it's like everyone builds him up to believe that he's this great thing even though he knows he didn't earn it and on his way, 
he has to build himself up I think to believe that he's worthy of this journey and that there might not, you know, uh, come to an inevitability. Um, I think it's less about. And then I, on I, the way, literally everything that can go wrong does. I interpreted it more less about this. I more like, why are you celebrating this thing? That's a curse. I, I didn't really interpret it as, as the, I have to be this legend that I, set for myself i interpret it more as like cool everybody's enjoying this and doing puppet shows and shit i'm gonna get my fucking head cut off by the end of this like it's not a thing to celebrate i was an idiot i fucked up but i don't know i to me this movie just felt very padded out i also liked the art direction it's a gorgeous movie uh uh i think deb patel's great and i think i mean all the performances are great i just ultimately felt like it just felt a little hollow to me. To me, this feels archetypal in the way that those stories do. I felt that it was actually truer to the original folkloric fantasies than everything post-Tolkien, right? Because everything sure. post-Tolkien is those sort of archetypes filtered through a modern, a kind of modern well, lens of it's an allegory, and it's it's. When we're seeing something like Lord of the Rings, we're seeing the myth. Like it is it is the mythic take. Whereas right. this is this is a human take behind the myth. Right. And again, that's not even my problem. I I I mean just I, felt- I, I the simplicity of it is sort of what I appreciated. I like the fact that it was just like, no, we're not gonna try and like we're not well, gonna try and sure, like turn but- this into a modern thing or or you know like set this in outer space or something, or we're not going to try and like, you know, have this, this uh, interpretation that can be, that can mean all of these modern things. Like we're just doing Arthurian legend as you would read it in that time period and putting it on screen. But it, it does, it's, it still feels like a postmodern take because it's not the legend. It is about, the person behind the legend it's it's not just i i don't know and you know like people's critique of lord of the rings is it's a lot of walking that's kind of what i felt like this movie was like there's well, stuff sure. that happens and there's stuff that's cool but it's padded the fuck out to right me. if I, you're expecting you know uh, a horde of orcs to come down the hill at some point and a big battle scene to occur that's you're not going to get that out of this I'm movie i'm not saying i need a horde of orcs to come and a big <laughs> battle scene to occur i'm just saying I, it, it feels a little fluffy to me it feels it feels like this movie was trying to impress people this this movie feels very like like I said, kind of pretentious to me. I I just I didn't, I didn't. There's nothing about it that I think is pretentious. I can understand not responding to it or thinking that it's boring. I can definitely understand some people thinking it's boring, but I I didn't. I really I appreciate again the sparseness, the simplicity, uh, and the artifice of it. I think that it is it is openly just kind of you know a moving tableau. Of a film. It's not, it's not really, it is as cinematic. I mean, it's very cinematic in, in the sense of what it's doing on screen, but it is as story driven as like going to a cathedral and looking at the pane glass tell a story. I mean, that's what this is. Sure. But, but I feel like the movie struggles between that and trying to make it too intimate and too personal. Like I, like there are weird moments where the the <clears throat> camera decides to pull in on Dev Patel ver- like very closely, and then other moments where it wants to pull out and have that mythic scale. And I just I don't think it quite works to me. I don't know. I I was I was all right with this movie, but I didn't love it. I wanted to love it, but I just didn't. See, and I thought you would be all about it because you're all about like dark fairy tales and and fantasy. And I mean, this is like the type of this. This is like what Guillermo del Toro dreams when he goes to bed. Absolutely. This was. But I feel like Guillermo del Toro can pull that tone off more. I don't know. It just felt I don't know. It just didn't 
work for me. And this was probably one of my most anticipated movies of the year. Like, it felt like someone trying to make their Pan's Labyrinth or whatever, but it just didn't have the meat behind it. I don't know. Maybe it's just that the legend is too simplistic for me. So this is shot by Andrew uh, Droz Palermo, who I'm not as familiar with. He did a few of David Lowry's other movies. But the the look of it looked a lot like Emmanuel Lubetsky, who shoots a lot for Terrence Malick and who shoots a lot for um, Inuritu. Um, you know, he did the... Uh, yeah. I mean, the, like I said, the look of this movie is absolutely gorgeous. They, they, they Right. Like, but you were talking specifically about how he can do these painterly uh, vistas and also do traditional coverage, like really close up. And I think that... Well, what what I'm saying is on a story level... Lubetsky the, the, does that too. The, the story tries to focus in on these moments and then also open up to be this broader thing. And to me, that's where it, it just doesn't quite work. It just doesn't... It always feels a little artificial to me. It always feels a little... I don't know. There's something keeping me from this movie. Uh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, m- mileage may vary and, and in interesting in different ways than I would have even thought. Um, I I really like this a lot. This has been one of my favorite movies I've seen the, in the year. Um, I was really kind of taken with it. And maybe like it's a, it is a mood movie. So maybe you got to be in the mood for it. May, well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's an anticipation thing because I was, like I said, I was really looking forward to this and then I don't know. I just walked away from it like, okay. Like, I am I was interested by it, but that's that's what I felt like. This, this movie never drew me in to more than the surface level details. And I was like, okay. I don't know. I give it a, I guess a B. I'm even an A. I, I mean, there's even aspects of it, a touch on horror. It feels, there's aspects of it that remind me a little bit of The Witch, but not quite as... Maybe I wanted a little more horror. I don't know. I I is creepy. There's some creepy town. Is there? I I wasn't ever creeped out by it. I was. I felt I felt like there was an overwhelming doom quality to a lot of it. I mean, I would not call this a happy film, even though there is sometimes a very beautiful film. No, I mean, I wouldn't either. But I I never got. I never got like a sense of dread from it or a sense of really even foreboding. Like I said, I just felt kind of flat to me. Try it out next winter. Try next next Christmas in the Yuletide. Nah, I, here's the thing. I think I'm good for a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's do the streaming homework, uh, which is uh, David Lynch's The Straight Story came out in 1999. Keith, what is this movie? So this is the story of an old man, Alvin Strait, played by Richard Farnsworth. Um, he's 78 years old, 79, just living a simple life in the country with his daughter, played by Sissy Spacek, his daughter Rose. She gets a call one day that his brother has had a stroke, uh, and Alvin is estranged from this brother. He hasn't seen him in a long time, and decides well you know that's not how he wants to leave it he he uh also early in the movie he falls uh he has some bad hips um he gets word from doctor that you know if he doesn't radically change his life uh he probably doesn't have that much time left himself so you know we get this sense of you know he wants to see his brother for one last time and so he wants to go on this journey because uh, they live in, was it Oklahoma? No, uh, uh, they live in Indiana. Is it? Okay. And he's traveling by lawnmower. Yeah. So to... he wants to go all the way to Wisconsin, um, but he's so old that he doesn't have a driver's license anymore. So he decides he's going to just take his riding mower, uh, makes a like little camper hookup um and just hits the road on his riding mower and decides he's gonna make it all the way 
Uh, people offer him a ride plenty of times, but it, it's, you know, a journey he has to do on his own. And mm. uh, due to circumstance, this is his only way to get there. Another journey movie. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, and along the way, he meets interesting characters, sees interesting sights. And also, this is the only, I think we you mentioned this earlier, this is the only G-rated movie to be directed by David Lynch. That might be true, yes. I'm certain it's true. So, I mean, Disney produced this. Yeah. Um, I didn't know, well, maybe I'll save this tidbit. Um, I, what did you think of a straight story? The straight story. So this is one I've been meaning to watch for a long time. I'm a big David Lynch fan, and this is you know the reputation of this movie is this is the movie that's the most unlike his other movies in that well, it's and the most uh sort of down to earth and and most straightforward. Yeah, yeah, it's the straight yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's and it's a feel good people pleaser you know it's not a thriller or a noir or you know a horror film or you know the stuff that he generally sort of treads in um it's not as psychological or as you know segmented or fractured or psychedelic as his other work um however i i think if you go in knowing it's david lynch it's pretty apparent um yeah, his, I mean, his character just- archetypes and the way that he writes dialogue and the way he directs his actors. Well, um, I don't I don't think he actually wrote this, though. Uh, it was written by John Roach and Mary Sweeney, who he's collaborated with Mary Sweeney a lot. But right. um, he, he doesn't have a script credit on it. Right. But, but I mean, like, if you watch like very- the if you watch like the first 25 minutes of Blue Velvet or like certain episodes of Twin Peaks, there's that folksy small town And there's also just a a, David Lynch has a way of lingering on to to get a very just a very real sense of conversation and and place. Um, Oftentimes, you know, this this isn't just this movie, but, you know, there's a conversation going on where nobody's saying anything, but the camera still cuts to reactions of silence um, right. Yeah. Or or it won't cut at all. Like he'll just he'll just hold it for a beat or two longer than most directors or editors would. Yeah. Which is, I mean, very. If you're familiar with David Lynch, it's still it might not be dark and spooky ooky, uh, but it still feels like it feels like him. It feels like uh uh you know his when he is capturing normal people in his maybe more surrealistic normal work. people. Yeah. And 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 I I think there's even elements of the dream quality. It's not as strong or as pronounced here, but you know there's this, these sequences where he's talking about staring at the stars and he's he's, he's recounting mm-hmm. these memories from his life and stuff and he sort of goes into the mind's eye a little bit. Not again, not as like freak out as he does well, yeah, in Yeah, yeah, there's there's and, and it's not presented in a surreal way, but he definitely does uh, – the camera captures these, you know, this, these internal moments of this character. And, um, you know, right. the – And the movie is very, movie, very concerned with memory, which I think is mm-hmm. an obsession of his throughout his work. Yeah. Um, and what that – and Americana, uh, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of funny. You look at something like the Sissy Spacek character, mm-hmm. who she's doing this quirky character. Um, she's you know has this very specific line delivery, and yeah, she, it almost kind of a- feels like she's doing like a log lady type character or something, like just a weirdo and a David Lynch thing. And then midway through the movie, you find out her story, and it brings this you know, devastating emotional complexity to what she's doing. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, never question when he has people doing weird stuff on screen because it it means something to him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very good point. Um, Also, you know, I think 
it's worth talking about, you know, Richard Farnsworth, the the main actor who played. He's incredible. And this was his last movie. He died, unfortunately, shortly after this came out and was posthumously nominated for an Academy Award for this. So when they were filming this, uh, apparently he had, uh, I believe it was bone marrow cancer. Possibly. Uh, He he had cancer. And... Uh, it it affected the, like the way he walked. So like the the canes, the the hips, like all of that was real. That wasn't yeah. you know that was it's an old man struggling who, who is very old, and and yeah. I think that comes through with his performance. Like you know that that pain, that that heartbreak, that that understanding that this is his kind of much like the last movie. Uh, this is his most likely his last journey. At least on his terms, at least the way he, you know, he wants to. Right. Um, and if people aren't familiar with Richard Farnsworth, you maybe remember him playing the uh, uh, the sheriff in Misery. Um, and uh, he was in Anne of Green Gables, did a lot of episodic television, but character actor for most of his life. Mm-hmm. But I mean, just the, you know, he's one of those consummate professionals who brings 111 to whatever he's doing. He has this instant lovable um charismatic realness salt of the earth realness to him yeah absolutely i mean you know there was more than once that he kind of reminded me of my dad and i think i think you know if you have any connection to that era of america at all uh you know you're gonna see somebody's dad or somebody's grandpa Within this performance. Oh, there's multiple scenes where I was near bawling. I mean, that sequence, and it kind of comes out of nowhere where he, you know, goes to a bar with another uh, war survivor. And, you know, we've, I think our generation and younger, like we think about World War II very abstractly. Like it's just Mm -hmm. this black and white historical thing because most of those people aren't with us anymore. And we don't really talk about that stuff with the people who are with us. And Um, and our generation has never experienced anything like that. We've, we've not firsthand. No, unless you experience different traumas, but not, it's not the same. Well, and we've seen war movies and stuff that, yeah. you know, play on it for different reasons, sometimes more emotional than others and whatever. But just this conversation between two elderly yeah. men who have moved on with their lives and are trying to put it behind them, but they are immediately put back in there. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of those times I said, I, th- I think he taps into the memory as dream, as reality, as personality um, in this, you know, just in the way he holds the camera and directs these actors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible that this movie tainted my viewing of the green Knight because <laughs> I, I think this kind of says all the same stuff. It's just not in a fantasy setting. Uh, I mean, I like both. I, I like both. I would say this is would be an interesting double feature, not planned, obviously. Um, uh, also, you know, it's gonna feel like five days. Um, <laughs> both movies are slow. Uh, uh, I mean, it is a slow watch. It is a, definitely a slow burn. But you know, it is a feel good movie, and it is and triumph of the human will, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, what I was going to say earlier, but was held on to, I guess it's based on a true story. Right. Um, so, and I don't know the ju- full details of, you know, what was taken for liberties and what wasn't. Sure, so, yeah. I'm just going off of what's on screen, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, the idea. I'm sure it was one of those like human interest pieces. You know, man drives tractor across two states sure, to see yeah. brother. And there might have not been any more information than that, but, but yeah. Yeah, and, and the movie is dedicated to the real Alvin Strait. Right. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. There's there's just something about the way David Lynch uses a camera that I can watch a conversation where nobody's talking for ten minutes. You know, I can watch... It's, it's still just so watchable to me. Even when nothing's happening, I'm like, there's something happening here. Right. There's there's something interesting going on. And 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 that's why I mean I think ultimately more than just the weirdness and the spooky ooky and the 
his journey into the surreal, um, I think it's his ability to to do that, to 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 show you something that even if you don't entirely understand why it's important, you know it's important to the story. You know it's it's a piece of this puzzle somehow. Um, this just happens to be a more straightforward puzzle, you know. Right. Uh, but he still he's still David Lynch. He still does those things. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought this was a really interesting movie. Yeah. And I think it's really good. And you know, he has more range than people might think as far as what he's able to do with a traditional narrative versus, you know, his craziest psycho noirs. Yeah. It's, it's not all lost highway. Right. Uh, he, he, you but know, it is and, the same and, guy. That's the thing. Is it's like, you know, he releases literally between Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive. Yeah, yeah, that's insane. That's insane to think <laughs> about. Uh, and you know, maybe, maybe he needed that. Maybe he yeah. needed some kind of a, a soul palate cleanser. Um, between, I think he needed a hit. Is what he needed. Well, that's possible too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know. Yeah, I think if you're a fan of David Lynch, even if it's only because of his psycho surreal stuff, uh, I think this is still worth checking out because it's still it's still the same guy, and you can still feel that. Right, right. Um, and, that, and like we said before, this is on Disney Plus right now, so you can catch it it's on, on that Disney Plus. Like <laughs> that is still weird to me. It's rated G. There is nothing offensive about this movie at all. Yeah, but it's still I don't know. Uh what and did it, you have? It also it also does it in a way that doesn't feel saccharine. You know. Yeah, no. There I mean there's the movie is all about human emotion, but it it examines it um not in a precious way. Even though yeah. it is sometimes mannered, it doesn't feel um yeah, it doesn't feel overly sentimental. Uh, so what did you have for us next, for the next episode? Uh, for the next episode, we are going to stream the 2018 uh, uh, documentary Andre the Giant about Andre the Giant uh, on HBO Max. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about on this episode, you can email us at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can find us on social media at mcguffinpod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Um, and you can also uh, be sure to leave us a five-star rating and a one-sentence review on iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Player.fm, Google Podcasts. Yeah, used to be called Google Play. Now it's Google Podcasts. Um, and you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VC Cassidy. I guess that's it. What about you? You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also check out my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. All right, and that is the episode. I cherish peace with all of my heart. I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. Bye.